Computer, initialize Holosuite. everyone and welcome to another episode of the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. I can't believe that it is already episode 15, which means that I've been doing this for three months now and um, I'm overwhelmed by all the support that this podcast has been receiving. So thank you so much. And today I'm going to look a bit more at Ghost in the Shell. So last week's episode, I talked about the philosophy of Ghost in the Shell and the main argument that I made is that Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 anime version of it, at least, um, it really uh, perpetuates this idea of a disembodied existence. And then also I showed how that's problematic for feminism, especially because in order for women to be able to advocate for women's rights and also for reproductive rights, especially which is a big concern for a lot of the different uh, types of feminisms that have existed since the 1960s, since the second wave. In order for women to be able to talk about these rights and uh, fight for these rights, they need their bodies. Their bodies are the site of women's oppression and the sites of women's rights. So I argued that that's quite problematic. The fact that the 1995 version of Ghost in the Shell suggests that our bodies are irrelevant. If you would like to listen to that episode, it is episode 14. So um, please go and listen to that one if you'd like to hear more about that. For today, I'm going to be talking about the 2017 Ghost in the Shell film that came out. And it's a live action remake, they said. Um, even though they said it's a remake of the anime, actually quite a lot changed in that movie, especially pertaining to the movie's narrative. Actually, they changed the story quite a bit, and um, I think they Hollywoodified it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, the story is much less philosophical, much less contemplative. I really think the anime... I think, of course, always the original is better. Um, and I think in this case, too, the 1995 anime is better because it gives us a really uh, more philosophical type of narrative. But what's interesting about the narrative of Ghost in the Shell in 2017 is that even though it's more Hollywood-centered, and um, I know it's received quite a lot of criticism for whitewashing too, um, casting Scarlett Johansson, which is an American white actress, to play the role of what is actually a Japanese character. So it has received some criticism because of that. And I certainly think that that criticism is valid. I, Although I really love Scarlett Johansson and I think she did a really good job, um, I think it would have been better to cast a, a Japanese actress, not just an Asian actress or any Asian, um, but a Japanese actress because the, the movie is about a Japanese character. But anyway, um, enough about that. Now I lost my train of thought. Right. So yes, even though they Hollywoodified the movie, I'm going to make up that term now, <laughs> even though it's more Hollywood centered, actually it reveals the new narrative reveals quite a lot about how embodiment is viewed currently 
in 2017 or, well, I know we're 2021, but in a more contemporary popular culture. And it's quite different from how it is portrayed in the 1995 version. Actually, it's the exact opposite. So today I'll be looking at that a little bit. So once again, I hope you enjoy the discussion and um, thank you for listening. Right, so the first thing I wanted to point out, and um, I've done a few episodes about a bunch of female cyborgs now. The other one was Seven of Nine, who I talked about. You can go and listen to the two episodes on her too, from Star Trek, of course, Seven of Nine from Star Trek Voyager. But like I argued, she was quite sexualized in 1990. When did she join Voyager? In 1999, I think, she joined Voyager for the last four years of the film, of the series, sorry. Um, so she was quite sexualized. And then I argued in the previous episode, too, that even Ghost in the Shell, the major in 1995, there's a lot of emphasis on her body. And her body is very idealized. It's a very um, ideal female body. I, I'm always, I always think of that that shot in the beginning, the opening sequence where we see her kind of come out of the water and she's dripping with this, I don't know, water or fluid, whatever made that synthetic body. And it just really focuses, it's her naked body. And the shot just really makes her body in the center, (laughs) makes it really uh, like important. And like I said, it's a very idealized body and it's also sexualized. In Throughout the 1995 Ghost in the Shell film, we see her undress, we see her run around naked and they justify it by saying that, yes, because she's a, it's a robot. It's actually, um, it's not a, a synthetic human body, um, organic human body, sorry, not synthetic. It's a robot. So it's okay for us to see it naked because it's a robot. And then they also say because the robot becomes invisible, then she can't wear clothes because then she can't be invisible. So (laughs) I think there's a lot of ways to justify it. But the key point is that in 1995, the major is quite sexualized. And I found it very interesting that in 2017, even though they used a really beautiful actress, which is Scarlett Johansson, her synthetic body it really reads more as a robot body there's this one author his name is michael dalliot bull he said that what's very interesting or it might be a woman too actually now that i look at it (laughs) michael can be a female name too so i'm not sure what the, the the gender of the author is but michael dalliot bull says that in 2017 actually the major and i quote walks somewhat heavily like a robot. And when she is lying undressed on the operating table, waiting for her cybernetic body to be repaired, I quote again, the author says, she looks unattractive and even repulsive. And I think that's a really big shift from 1995, where we see this cyborg body being really idealized and really sexualized, to 2017, where she really walks like, when she walks, it's like, doof, doof, doof. Like, she looks really uncomfortable when she walks. And um, her cybernetic body is not fetishized. Even though she's naked, or naked, (laughs) 
um, I, I was just making like quotation marks with my hands and I realized you can't see me. <laughs> Even though she doesn't wear clothes on top of her cybernetic body in the 2017 film, it doesn't look like Scarlett Johansson naked. Um, it actually looks like a suit, a bodysuit that she's wearing. So it reads as a suit and not as a naked body. So I think that was quite significant. Like I've noted in a few other episodes too, desexualization is a trend that we see in many female characters these days. Even characters like Laura Croft, you can listen to the episode on her too. She's also desexualized in after the Tomb Raider reboot in 2013. Even Seven of Nine, this really super sexy cyborg in 1999 when she joined Voyager. In 2020, when Star Trek Picard came out, she's also really desexualized. And then, of course, there's Katniss Everdeen. There is... Grace from the new Terminator movie. In Star Trek, we have Michael Burnham. We have so many female characters recently that are desexualized. And I think that Ghost in the Shell really follows that trend as well. Okay, so that is um, actually a side note. Um, what I really want to get to is the narrative of the new Ghost in the Shell movie. Okay, so like I said, even though the 2017 live action remake of Ghost in the Shell was supposed to be like a remake, like a live action version of the anime, they actually changed quite a lot in terms of the narrative. So I would rather call it a reboot. Now, I don't have any like legitimate reason uh, or definition for the two. Um, for me, a reboot is more something that is like redone, whereas a remake is just the live action version of it. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I think it's a reboot because they really changed a lot about the new movie's narrative. So I will go through those narratological changes and then I will talk about how, what, what this means for embodiment, what this means for the major and how Ghost in the Shell views embodiment in 2017. And I think that also reveals a lot about how we as a society and especially feminists too, approach the idea of embodiment in contemporary um, society. Right, so there are three very significant narratological alterations from the 1995 anime. In a comparative study of the anime of the film, the author that I mentioned early, earlier, Michael Daliot Boo, describes the changes made to the story as an ideological shift from, and I quote, radical post-humanism to human exceptionalism, where the anime film favors a post-human disembodied existence and the live-action film an embodied liberal humanist one. Okay, now those are a lot of isms, and I hate complicated academic words like that. But what this basically means is that the 1995 anime embraced the idea of disembodiment, that the brain and the body can be split. The mind and the body can be split. It goes to that Cartesian mind-body split that suggests that, oh, if I put my brain into a computer, um, it wouldn't have any effect <laughs> on me. The 
or if I had to put my brain in the body of my cat or in the body of another human being, uh, it wouldn't matter because there's a there's a split between the mind and the body. Uh, and that's obviously problematic for various reasons. And that is why cyber feminists say that we need our body because my mind in my body, my mind impacts my body and my body impacts my mind too. When my body is sick, my mind also feels uh, sad or, or stressed or sick. Or when, when my mind is depressed, my body just wants to sleep. So obviously there's a relationship. But in the 1990s and early 2000s, when technology became really um, like the internet was invented and there was this big like jump in uh, technological advancement, um, people started kind of embracing this idea. But recently, and that's what human exceptionalism means, is that we are shifting away from that idea of what it means to be human. Um, and these changes to Ghost in the Shell too, like this author says, actually it's about, um, it, it frames the major uh, as someone who, who wants to embody her cybernetic body. Um, it embraces the idea that we are human beings that are embodied and that our bodies are really important for the existence of our minds. Right, so let me go through the changes that have been made in terms of the narrative. Okay, so first of all, in the 1995 anime film, there is no indication of the major. Sorry, I don't think I, I mentioned um, I, I guess I assume you would be listening to this episode after listening to the previous one. But the major, she is the main protagonist of Ghost in the Shell of the, of the anime and of the, the 2017 film too. Um, her real name is Motoko Kusanagi. She's Japanese, but they just call her the major. So. I just call her the major. <laughs> okay, so in the anime film, there's no indication of the major's backstory or her past. All that is known about her is that she is a human consciousness that has been placed within an entirely cybernetic body. And then according to the author, Michael Dalliot Bull, she even protests her humanity by treating her female cyborg body like a mere machine in the 1995 anime and we see that she doesn't value her cybernetic body because at the end she really kind of destroys it by trying to rip open a, a tank like a like a machine like a a, a tank the, the ones that shoot <laughs> not a, a tank like a, a a tank yeah okay i hope i'm making sense um yeah so she protests her humanity by treating her cyborg body like a mere machine but then in the remake the major starts experiencing flashbacks or what she calls glitches she thinks it's a glitch in her cybernetic body but it's actually flashbacks and these are flashbacks of her memories before her consciousness was transferred into her cybernetic body and then very interesting and we never see this happening in the anime the major pursues her memories and she finds her biological mother. So we know that she had a biological body and she had a life before her mind was transferred into the cybernetic body. 
And then she also discovers that she was once part of a rebellious group of teenagers who were captured by the organization Hanka Robotics and had their cerebrums implanted into synthetic bodies to be used for scientific experimentation and military operations. So, yes, this is something that never happens in the anime. We get the, the major's backstory. And we see that she was a human being before she was a machine. Of course, that is implied in the 1995 anime, but there's really no focus placed on her humanity in the 1995 anime. Here we see her having flashbacks of her humanity and even pursuing it, you know, actually going to meet her biological mother, which I thought was a very interesting shift or a very interesting change that they decided to make in the 2017 remake. Okay, and then in fact, throughout the the film, a main theme of the film is actually how the major struggles to embody her cybernetic body. So like I said, in 1995 too, she really doesn't care about her cybernetic body and she very easily moves her consciousness into the body of another, um, an, into another cybernetic body that is the body of a pre-adolescent girl. But in, in the 2017 film, we see how she really tries to embody her cybernetic body. According to the author, Daliet Bull, the major actively, and I quote, mourns the loss of her organic body. And an important aspect of her quest as a cyborg is to try to be able to sense and feel as humans do. And of course, like I mentioned, this is something we never see her do in 1995. In the anime, she really just, she knows that she's a weapon and she treats her body as a weapon. She never tries to feel anything. And then in 2017, part of her apprehension is that she does not seem to share the same connection to the physical or natural world that other humans around her do. And she attempts to feel by visiting a prostitute and deep diving in the ocean, even though it poses a risk to her. So in other words, for this version of the major, in contrast to the anime version of her, a disembodied existence is highly problematic and difficult to adapt to. And her journey in the film is focused on trying to embody her synthetic body and to find her place in the organic world as a cyborg. Right, so let me move on to the second revised detail then. As you can see there, there is, um, from that first part, there's a clear shift in the ideology or in the philosophy uh, from a disembodied existence to a disembodied existence to an embodied existence. Right, so the second revised detail in the feature film is that the puppet masters, so just to give some background, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, the puppet master in 1995 is a basically AI that became conscious <laughs> and that had no body to start with in the first place. Um, and then he's the main an antagonist in the anime and also in the 2017 film. But the way he's treated in 2017 is very much different. Okay, so the, this is the, the change they made. 
Actually, in 2017, the puppet master does not emerge from the web as a disembodied entity, but he previously had a human body and now has a cybernetic body like that of the major. Okay, so in the film version, actually the puppet master was also part of the same rebellious teenage group as that of the major before her brain was transferred into a cybernetic body. So actually they knew each other before their brains were stolen to be put in cybernetic bodies. And that is a big change. And I think, you know, for this reason, a lot of people also definitely fans of the anime also criticized the 2017 film because i mean this is quite a big change um the the fact that the puppet master actually knew the major before and um he was also a human being before and not just um the cybernetic entity that became self-conscious okay but then in 2017 the Puppet Master's cybernetic body was not compatible with his ghost or his soul or his brain. And so he was discarded like dozens of others before Hanker Robotics finally succeeded in creating the Major. Now, this aspect of the narrative especially seems to reflect Catherine Hales. Now, Catherine Hales wrote a really important book in 1999 called How We Became Post-Human. Um, yeah, you can read that book, although it's not your uh, bedside reading. Uh, it's quite a heavy read. But she said that human consciousness should not simply be regarded as an informational pattern that can seamlessly be transferred between bodies. But she said that bodies need to be embodied. So this idea that the puppet master's cybernetic body rejected his brain or maybe his brain rejected his cybernetic body that really clearly shows the notion that bodies need to be embodied and then also the doctor who created these cyborgs she states in the beginning of the film that one cannot and i quote reduce a complex human to a machine one cannot reduce a complex human to a machine, which is what the early representation of the major suggests. Um, in 1995, it suggests that her body is just a machine and her brain is her brain and um, the two have no relationship with each other. But then in 2017, we see really how these cyborgs struggle to embody their cybernetic bodies. And I always try to put myself in their shoes too. If my brain was transplanted into a cybernetic body, I would definitely have some issues. <laughs> I definitely have some difficulties with that. Um, yeah, but then in the anime, they make it seem like that's not a big deal at all. Anyway, let's move on to the third significant change. And this is quite interesting too, and also quite important is that in the 2017 film the major denies the offer to join the cybernetic network with the puppet master so to clarify once again actually in 1995 the major she her consciousness kind of merges with the consciousness of the puppet master 
And then this new combined consciousness is transferred into the body of a pre-adolescent girl. And then it kind of suggests that they can just seamlessly um, go over all the internet and the web. And that is kind of how this new consciousness exists. But then in 2017, she says, no, I'm not going to join the cybernetic network. Instead... Um, and also in 2017, this is the cybernetic network that the puppet master created to escape his own defective synthetic body, which is um, also a, a, a different take on it from the 1995 anime. Um, in the anime, the puppet master did not create the cybernetic network. Um, he just kind of existed in it and became conscious in it <laughs> okay but what the major chooses to do in 2017 is that she chooses to stay in her cyborg body and she goes and lives with her biological mother in their house before she became a cyborg and that is much much different than the ending of the 1995 anime um, we see that the major actively chooses to stay embodied and to try and negotiate her existence in the world and to try and be an embodied being to the point where she even goes and lives her life, her human life that she had before she became this uh, cyborg, which I think is a very significant. It tells us a lot about what we deem as the, the next stage of human evolution. Um, the next stage of human evolution might not be to become completely disembodied entities that just live on the web, but actually to be embodied people, even though we are in a cybernetic body, and to kind of try to create a relationship with a natural world, with a physical world, um, and not just live um, on the web as these consciousnesses. So I will quickly recite the, the Major's epilogue at the end of the 2017 film, which really, I think, expresses her embrace of humanity and an embodied existence. What she says at the end of the movie, and I quote, she says, My mind is human. My body is manufactured. I am the first of my kind, but I won't be the last. We cling to memories as if they define us, but what we do defines us. My ghost survived to remind the next of us that humanity is our virtue. I know who I am and what I'm here to do. And there I would like to emphasize that she says humanity is our virtue. So we really see the shift from this idea that technology is everything um, to this really opposite notion that humanity is our virtue. Humanity is what's important, not technology. And this is really a big contrast to the Major's final words in the 1995 anime film, which I would also like to briefly recite. So, yes, at the end of the 1995 film, we see the Major, who is now in the body of a pre-adolescent girl and whose consciousness has been merged with the Puppet Master. And then she says... Here before you is neither the program called the Puppet Master nor the woman that was called the Major. And where shall I go? 
The net is vast and limitless. So those are her final words in 1995. She talks about staying on the net, on the web, on the internet, in the disembodied cyber realm. So, yes, that is uh, a really big shift, I think. So to summarize that, in the anime, the major does not question her post-humanity or her or the notion that now she is basically a disembodied entity, but rather she embraces it as she's willing to take every opportunity to move on to the next state of a disembodied existence. But then in contrast, in the film, the major clings to every part of humanity that she has left, no matter how small, even the memory of her cat and her mother and her biology, and she actively chooses not to move on to the apparent next stage of human evolution, which is becoming a disembodied entity on the net. So... Yes, the major's representation in 2017, then, it really resonates with what some cyber feminists, such as Catherine Hales, in particular considers what it means to be post-human or what it really means to move on to the next stage of human evolution, which is that the mind-body is experienced as an emergent phenomenon. So, to rephrase, the idea that our minds and our bodies influence each other as we live and that embodiment should be understood in relational terms as processes emerging from complex recursive interactions rather than as pre-existing entities. So uh, to rephrase or paraphrase again that our um, we exist our bodies and minds don't exist separately as pre-existing entities, but that they are created by the interaction with each other. So in emphasizing a humanist approach, contemporary cyborgs then support the various cyber feminist critique of anti-essentialist feminism or the idea that we should be disembodied. And that is actually not only something we see in the representation of the major, but in other contemporary cyborgs too. Like I mentioned about Seven of Nine in the episode called Seven of Nine Rebooted. You can listen to that one. Um, we really are moving in contemporary society. We are moving towards the embrace of a humanist approach or the idea that Humanity is important, that humanity is our virtue. So yes, that is the episode on Ghost in the Shell. I think um, I'm not going to make another one unless a new Ghost in the Shell <laughs> comes out and presents another really radical take on what it means to be human. But I really love that Ghost in the Shell, maybe not the Netflix uh, series of it, that's much more action-based, but the anime, the 1995 one, and the anime movie that was released after that one called Ghost in the Shell Innocence, and then the 2017 Ghost in the Shell movie too, it really 
contemplates our humanity and it really contemplates what it means to be human. And I think that's why I really love it and why it really appeals to me. So I highly recommend watching the anime and watching the film with Scarlett Johansson. Um, just a funny story. <laughs> the Scarlett Johansson film, I, I didn't see it in the movies, although I really wanted to. I can't remember why I didn't. But the, when I saw it actually was uh, on a New Year's Eve, I was house sitting and um, I I usually just watch movies on New Year's. And this movie showed on TV, um, I think it's it showed like 8 p.m. So I watched it. And then on a different channel, there was another screening of it at 10 p.m. <laughs> And um, so basically for the whole New Year's, I just watched Ghost in the Shell. So I watched the 2017 movie twice that day and then a few times after that too. So I don't know why it just really appealed to me and um, I really liked it, even though it received a lot of criticism. So I highly recommend it. Maybe watch it over New Year's <laughs> or uh, just watch it and um, yeah, watch the anime too. I, I'm still trying to get my hands on the 4K version of the anime, which I'm sure will be really good to watch. So yes, thank you once again for listening. Next week, I'll be... I'm still thinking about <laughs> what to talk about next week. The week after... I have a really special episode again. My friend and I, Courtney Tink, we will be doing a special episode on the Cruella movie that comes out. So you can look forward to that. So for now, thank you for listening. And this is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. Why, why, where is this drama coming from? Why is Picard being a right arse to, to, his, to his first officer? Yeah, and also as well, the, um, uh, oh, does a captain's life mean nothing to you then? Yes, yeah. This is weird strange. tension. It's it's weird. You Riker's addicted to Geordie. Picard's addicted to, to Riker. <laughs> You've got um, Crusher being aloof to everyone. You've got Tasha being over earnest. Loading Holosuite preview program for her first Trek, a Star Trek preview podcast. And he's like, "You what, Doctor?" And the Doctor's like, "That's right, Captain." I will have your guts for garters. I'm trying to work out whose writing I would have preferred for that scene then. Yours or the writer of the episode? I mean, do you even need to ask? I would have made it spectacular. <laughs> Probably bring glitter and things involved in it. Yours. McCoy throws Undoubtedly. glitter. Undoubtedly. Kirk, and it just takes on the and whole And do you know how they meaning. solve the situation? Dance off! Oh, and a disco ball drops down from the ceiling. And Kirk's like, I had that installed when we first moved in. RuPaul. Waiting to use it. <laughs> disco ball on the bridge, that'd yeah. be great. I can imagine RuPaul steps up then. Yeah. Know. If you can't yeah. love yourself. Oh, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? Amen. All right, now let the music play. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.